mindfulness mode. Committing to the practice is what develops the discipline. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. We often have authors on, and today we have an author on as well, but we don't often have authors on who are fictional authors. And today, I'm really excited because, as I said to her a moment ago when we got on the call, she's a gutsy author. And when you get the opportunity to read her book, you will find that out. And she has a lot to say. She has a real message to share with the world. She's originally from Los Angeles, but with dual citizenship in the UK. So she grew up in both countries and went on to study creative writing, first earning a BA in 2008 from Manchester Metropolitan University and later followed by an MFA in 2017 from California College of Arts. I'm here today with Lindsay Lees. So Lindsay, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, absolutely. The morning morning is my mindful time for sure. Is it? Well, it's great to have you with us. So, so what does mindfulness mean to you, Lindsay? It is, it's one of like the most important aspects of, of not my life necessarily, but my writing and my everyday sort of rituals and practices. Um, it is about staying present, as we know, but really just not allowing too much internal dialogue and concern about the future and distractions to rule how I live my life in the day to day. Well, that internal dialogue can shut us down, can it? It can, uh, it can paralyze us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it really can. Well, your book is called The Willing and the website is thewillingnovel.com. Tell us why you decided to write this book. I wrote The Willing because it was a concept that was living rent-free in my brain and the only way for it to for me to not think about it all the time was to externalize it and put it down onto paper. Um, and I think that that's true for a lot of um, why people write is so that they can manifest it in a way that doesn't just occupy your thoughts and your, um, your focus all of the time. So for me, it was, um, it was a lot about understanding the juxtaposition, juxtaposition of how I, as a Western woman live in a, a global world where there's so much diversity in the way that women are treated and um, and understanding it from different cultural perspectives and then examining it through the lens of my own personal experience. As a woman, Lindsay, how do you want to be treated? That answer has shifted in so many ways. I think as you grow up to when you're in your early 20s to now in my mid 30s, there's so many different responses I could have given to that. Um, Now, as a, a more mature woman and examining how our culture in America has has explored the idea of feminism and independence, I definitely want to um, to be as a woman in a stable marriage with a, a man who can 
who isn't controlled by me in a way, who can take a leadership position and and guide the, our family and um, not leave me the sole person who's responsible for making every decision just because I'm independent and capable of it. Um, taking a step back and, and being in a more submissive position from a, from a marital point of view. And I understand that that's different if you're a single woman and you don't have um, that support in your life, then, then your perspective on it will, will be different. But, but as someone who's married now, I, my, my role, I see it as, as different than when I was single. For sure. Right. So what upsets you the most about how women are treated some of the i mean there are a lot of different ways women are mistreated and misrepresented but what bothers you the most the the abuse and trauma that that some women endure and the um the lack of support that they feel in their cultures i don't um my my opinion is a little more directed at cultures that put women in very subservient positions and and don't give them any sort of autonomy especially over their bodies i hate the treatment of female genital mutilation in any form and in, in cultures that just I, I i can't conceive of how that's acceptable in our in our society so yeah any sort of physical taking of bodily autonomy is uh is probably the most egregious so did you see this growing up in your life? Uh, no, I mean, not in a, in a direct way, but through media influence and the experience of wars that happen, the experience of um, Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and ISIS and their um, control over, over their countries and their women, um, just through the lens of what we saw, not even just... Um, what the news would show us, but from the documentaries and the the exposure that they had after it had all happened um, and having to sort of dig and find out, you know, where, what exactly went, went down. That all, um, that all had a, yeah, a very huge impact on me and, and made me question, well, how does a woman cope after that? How do you, how do you get back your life? And what would it look like if a community of women decided that the only way to protect themselves was to sacrifice their bodies? What are your thoughts about women who are living in Afghanistan these days? Girls are not allowed to go to school. Women have to be covered from head to toe, except for their eyes. What are your thoughts about all that? Again, as a Western woman, it's it's a lifestyle that I couldn't conceive of as 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 privileged as we are to live in this country and to have our freedoms. I I can't understand what that life would be like. But I also know that because it's their culture that most of the women are are accepting of it and they step back and they let the men make the decisions and control them the way that they are have grown accustomed to so to them they can't imagine living any other way either you know so um mm -hmm. so it is uh it is it is interesting well yeah 
Yeah, and that's interesting that you say that because the next question I was going to ask is about Roe v. Wade. And you live in the United States and you've recently undergone like a massive shift. So what are your thoughts about that? I am... As, as a woman who has recently um, endured two pregnancy losses and is currently in the process of trying to create a family, I just view life a, through a little bit of a different lens. And I don't see the destruction of, of life as the, um, as the sole answer to people's problems. And... Um, so, you know, it's challenging because women can be put in a position where they are feel forced um, to have a child. But there's also a certain um, responsibility when it comes to sex and uh, promiscuity that is has been um, not explained properly, I don't think. I grew up understanding that a human life was necessarily a clump of cells up into a certain point. But then at the same time, I know that at five weeks pregnant, I could see my baby's heartbeat. And so it's not, I don't see it as that anymore. I can't just say dismissively that a baby is just a clump of cells up into a certain point or that it doesn't have a right to existence. Does that mean that all women should have to be forced to have a child if they're not ready. And same for a man in a certain way. There is, should, I think, be a shift in our understanding about it and, um, and that that decision is potentially going to lead to a little bit more of a, a compassion for life and not just a, a, a conclusive belief that it's not really a life until it's born. Well, hopefully it will lead to people taking uh, the act of reproduction more seriously and people stopping to think, well, hey, you know, like this really is something we are creating a potential life here. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the last 50 years, we've become complacent about that. I think in a certain way, you know, I think there's been a lot of a lot of literature that has sort of tried to make make women believe a certain thing and that that misunderstanding has has led to a very casual um, reliance on abortion as a form of contraception when yeah. it is not. It shouldn't be considered contraception. Yeah. 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 So Mindful Tribe, in case you haven't picked up on this the book has a lot to say about the role of women and uh well you can check it out yourself thewillingnovel.com and you can read the first chapter right there on the website hey mindful tribe bruce here i'm jumping in to ask you a question mindful tribe are you experiencing anxiety stress discouragement well, that's exactly where a lot of my clients were when they reached a breaking point and decided to contact me to talk about how hypnosis can work to bring about a new state of calm and focus. Do you feel like you're spinning in circles and struggling to feel good? 
Hypnosis is a method that's been around for years and a lot of mindfulness mode listeners have connected with me. They've done sessions with me and now they're experiencing a new level of peace. If you're hearing this right now, take it as a sign that this is the time for you to connect with me to talk about how to move forward so that you'll feel grounded and centered and be able to fully embrace mindfulness in your life. Email me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com with I believe in me in the subject line. We'll connect on a Zoom call and we will talk about how this can work for you. Now, back to the show. I want to talk about the images, the images that you have in your book, first of all, starting with the front cover, and then you've got beautiful color images in the chapters. So tell us about that. Who has created these images and why did you choose them? Yeah, so um, it was definitely me. I mean, I um, I I conceived the the cover idea um, just based on on the world that I created. So Avoidia is a a female centric world, and it is controlled by certain superstitions that um, that anything like phallic or anything that is uh, male centered is. Uh, will interfere with the utopic ideal that they've created. So the buildings are very whimsical. They're curved. They're shaped. They have femininity to them. There's no straight lines anywhere. They don't. Um, they don't eat with a knife. They only use a spork. You know, something with a, a serrated edge because they just refuse to um, to have anything phallic shaped in in their world. And so, um, so the cover is, so is, is an image of the city and the city is, um, very round and, and globe-like and there's skyscrapers and, um, and then there's Gypsy, the main character in theory, um, walking into, into the environment and she's wearing, um, a shift, which is sort of like a longer knee-length dress, um, and that's sort of the the uniform of um, of the women there, and they are uh, protected, protective of their of their figures, and they don't necessarily um, attempt to draw attention to themselves or their bodies, although there's the the opposite side of that where there's the the gajis who are the sort of prostitutes but they're not they're just for sex they're the emotional emotionally available women to the men because the women of avoidia have sort of shut off their emotions in order to just provide um, a physical connection to the men and that is the the theory behind um why they're able to live in a society that has no crime, where children are protected, where there is um, this sense of safety that exists that is created by the women. And um, yeah, what else? (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing all that. And Mindful Tribe, I have a feeling that, you know, if you have any interest in, you know, the whole feminine view of the world and, and, how we're shifting in the world this way, then this is a book you'll want to get your hands on, thewillingnovel.com. Yeah, so I'm I'm also wanting to ask you, 
what writing you did previous to this? What what has led up to the point where you decided to write this novel? Yeah. Um, so I pretty much, I mean, I guess I started writing short stories and, and poetry and things of, of that nature, just creatively expressing myself um, through high school and then uh, into college and not really knowing, you know, what I wanted to study and thinking that it was going to be journalism and then realizing that bureaucracy of the media was not a life path that I was going to follow. Um, but I originally wrote a sort of um, autobiographical novel that focused on um, my life as a, as a child growing up in a, in a system of, of addiction and family addiction and having a father who was a, a drug addict. And so creatively just sort of uh, exploring character development and and the the sort of out there boldness of writing, um, creating plots and and themes that I don't personally see see too much of in writing. Um, so that was a the first sort of, of novel that I wrote that hasn't gone anywhere. I haven't done anything with it, but. But I needed to sort of, what's the term where you get your chops or something where you, um, but yeah, I needed to cut my teeth on that novel to, uh, to get a foundation of, of what, of, of that I could write, that I was capable of developing chapters and, and plot arc and creating a, a novel, like a full length a lot of pages you don't really when you start a novel you have no idea you know how much work is put into it or that you're even capable of uh of writing 50,000 70,000 words you know then just just the numbers uh can be intimidating um so from there I I had the concept in my head for the willing and um and I participated in November. They do a um, an online writing contest, not a contest, but it's a challenge called the mm-hmm. Nas- National Novel Writing Month. And they challenge you in November from the 1st to the 30th to write 50,000 words. And so you're committing to, uh, to about 1,700 words a day. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm I'm pretty, I'm competitive and I like a challenge and not, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, so I took that on and, and from there I got, uh, you know, you just had to commit and dedicate yourself and, and you developed a, a writing discipline. And that's, that's one of the most important things about being a writer is having the discipline to complete and follow through with what you, uh, what you start. And, um, and that was back in 2012. So it took me about 10 years uh, to to complete uh, the publication. But once you once I uh, once I had a rough draft, it was just a matter of of going through the journey and getting it workshopped and showing it to different people and getting feedback and all of that. You know, it was a it was an interesting ride. Right. Well, you you touched on your planning process how detailed was that how detailed was the the structure that you planned out before you had actually created the the chapters 
Um, it wasn't like a spreadsheet detailed, but I definitely, um, I tend to write freehand um, before as a, uh, in my drafts before I commit to, um, to putting it on a computer. So I have notebooks, lengthy notebooks of um, whether it was dialogue, whether it was descriptions of characters, whether it was uh, just detail, like little notes and details that I knew I wanted to include. Um, all of that, I definitely sketch out beforehand. Um, not, not very neatly, not that it needs to be at all. Um, just so that I understood it. And then from there, sort of piecing things together and, um, and getting in the, getting in the zone and just, um, mm. just writing, you know, one of the important things also is to not censor yourself too much when you're drafting. Uh, you want to just write as much as you can and then worry about editing after you've gotten all of the lack of a better word crap out you know and then you can yeah. get through it and decide you know what um because the editing process is just as long as the writing process it's not longer yeah. but and much less entertaining you know so you want yeah. to, uh, you want to just get it all freshly freshly exposed from your mind so that you're not uh you don't miss anything, you know, it's in those little, uh, it's in those, it's in the, the multitude of it that you can pick out all of the details that are going to stick. Was there one part of the book that was particularly challenging or did the whole thing pretty much flow? It was a little bit harder to write the beginning of the book, not really knowing exactly where it was going to start. So when I wrote the draft, um, it started on what what is now chapter eight, um, and so I had to uh, I had to get some feedback and some understanding about what was missing in order to figure out um, how, where the story actually started. So yeah, you don't necessarily know where the story begins until um, until you written what you have and then getting feedback yeah. is so important in a way you know i mean you can uh you can learn a lot and most of it you you don't you don't use but you can use you know what is relevant to you and um so yeah i mean i i was in several writing groups and um and they're really, they're really fantastic, you know, to have a, to have the support and to have writing is very isolating. Yeah. You know? I mean, all you have is yourself. And, um, and so when you, um, when you encourage yourself and when you initiate that step to joining a group of people who are also interested in writing and um, have the same motivation is you and support then you get uh you get a lot done for sure so did you do all the proofreading and editing yourself or did you get help with that no i definitely hired an editor when it came down to publishing time um i hired an editor and um and she worked 
she worked very close with me. She was very um, supportive of the story and, and, um, and in, and a fan herself of, of the book, you know, which is, uh, which was hugely beneficial. And she wanted, um, she wanted me to put out the best work possible. And uh, so she, she worked very closely with me and that was, um, that was pretty essential. Yeah. I'm no, I'm no proofreader, copywriter, you know, like yeah. I'm, I'm the creative, the create, I'm the creator. Yeah. And so it's sure. harder to take a lens and she, uh, she was very mindful and uh, she made me look at things differently and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it made all the difference. Well, I know that you are passionate about your pets and I'm wondering if your pets help to inspire your writing or how they inspire your mindfulness. Yeah. Just on the everyday. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much they inspire my writing, but, um, but as far as helping me to focus and to maintain routine um most mornings I'm out with my dogs taking a walk and walking for me is one of the best ways to, to get into a, a mindfulness state and to clear out the thoughts and focus on, especially the walks that we do. Um, it's just very meditative and, um, and that is like our, our, our routine and, and they have me, you know, they, <laughs> they have me up in the mornings and they're the ones who are excited to go. And that's, um, that's for me, just maintaining that activity is, uh, keeps me focused. Yeah. So do you have dogs only, or do you have other kinds of pets as well? Yeah. No, I mean, I've had quite a, quite a, a mix of, of animals. Um, I have right now we have five cats and three dogs and two goldfish. Um, and we recently lost, uh, three rabbits about a year ago to, uh, to a parasite that they all got, which is challenging. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of, of rabbits. What do rabbits offer that you don't uh, feel like you receive from some of the other pets. What what makes them different? They're they're less maintenance in a way, but they're also very intelligent, and they are either you kind of get a mix of them. A lot of them are independent, don't really want anything to do with you. But then occasionally you get a rabbit who is engaged with the family and acts like a dog, you know, in a way, and can be. Um, very demanding for attention and very affectionate. And so it's a, just a, a pleasure when you kind of get that, um, that engagement from, from an animal that is essentially more of a wild animal than domesticated. Yeah. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lindsay, I always ask a question about bullying on my interviews because I've worked in bullying prevention for over 10 years. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially when you are, um, as a, 
uh, an adolescent um, in a in a position where you are less capable of standing up for yourself, less confident. Um, for me, growing up was um, challenging because I didn't feel that I I had so many things going on in my personal life and my family life that I couldn't share and that I didn't understand completely and that um, and that made me different from the kids in my classroom and who I was growing up with. And so I um, wish that that especially children could um, could not let those self-defeating thoughts and those insecurities um, become their identity in a way and, um, and influence how they, uh, view themselves and understand that the person that you are back then is not going to be the person that you are when you grow up and you're capable of, uh, of developing new ways of thinking and new confidence in, in yourself. And, and your understanding about the world and how people really view themselves and project and try to belittle others because they don't feel good about themselves and that's their only way of coping. And um, yeah, I mean, kids would definitely have an easier time if their understanding was, was a little broader. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, Lindsay, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Probably my mother. She is um, a clinical psychologist. She, um, things weren't always great for us growing up. You know, she had a lot of learning to do, but especially now in my adult life, she, um, focuses a lot on uh, understanding emotions, being compassionate, and um, not just um, allowing things to happen to you without you acknowledging the, uh, the effect of it. Right. And speaking of emotions, this is my next question. How has mindfulness helped you deal with your emotions in a better way? It's easy for me to allow my um, anxieties and my insecurities to, to paralyze me. And so coming out of that and focusing on yoga and breathing and becoming more centered is, um, has made things, I mean, it's just, it's really life-changing, I think, in a way. Well, and that's my next question is about breathing. So tell me a little more, expand on the breathing that is in your life and how that helps you to be more mindful. Yeah, so I mean, I enjoy, um, I enjoy breathing techniques, pranayama, things that you learn in yoga. Also, um, there's the, uh, the Dutch guy, Wim Hof, who does um, breathing techniques and, and they're fascinating and, and his whole life they is are. fascinating and learning what, what that practice is about is um, it's very expansive and um, it just, it can 
shift your your mood in in a in a very short period of time, and that uh, that can be uh, essential in a lot of ways to being able to overcome certain things. Yeah, for sure. I'm a Wim Hof fan, so yeah, I hear you. His he's got so much to teach on the topic of breathing that's for sure well let's move on to the next question and that's about a book your book the willing is an excellent book to have in your collection mindful tribe go to the willingnovel.com are there any other books that you would recommend that are somehow related to mindfulness um I would recommend there's a um, I think it's by by Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, but he does a um, a book on walking meditation. Nice. Um, yeah, that I really um, that I've I've learned a lot from, and it's a uh, it's a pretty easy book to to get through and to to read and and it's the type of book that you can go back on back to and and keep learning new things from so um i mean especially when it comes to mindfulness learning to learning practices on mindfulness is um a lot easier than trying to figure out how to do it sort of on your own totally any apps that you recommend or that you use that can help with any aspect of mindfulness? I mean, there is a, a, like a religious app that I've been sort of getting into called Abide. And Abide okay. is a, um, it's a, a Christian app and they do some interesting series um, that I've, I've been enjoying. And um, I'm also a fan of not all aspects of ASMR, but um certain um certain styles of asmr that kind of help me to sleep especially um they can be very and there are a, a whole series of different styles of it um and if that's something you haven't explored then i mean i would if you are into sounds and sensory things, then, then it's definitely worth it. Yeah, and for listeners who are listening and don't know the acronym ASMR, can you expand on it? Yes, it is, um, I think it's Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, which is a, um, it's in your mind essentially, and it is a, a way to, to, calm and de-stress based on um, sensory triggers such as um, sounds and light and um, uh, practices that we find relaxing like getting your hair done or getting a facial and it's people that um, that do sort of role playing for these things and that sets your mind into a relaxed state. And um, and yeah, I mean, I, it's become very popular <laughs> in the last five years or so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As we wrap up the interview, I want to uh, ask you for any words of wisdom to anyone out there who is aspiring to write. Maybe they 
keep thinking, oh, yeah, I should write. Oh, yeah, I've got some talent, but I just can't seem to get my discipline together to actually do it. What are your words of advice? It is challenging and acknowledging that it's challenging is probably the first step to overcoming it. Um, You want to probably begin journaling and just getting your thoughts down. If you have story ideas in mind, then focus on small segments of the story at first, you know, whether don't, you don't have to start with an outline. That's a complete understanding from beginning to end what the story is going to be. You want to, um, you want to just focus on the areas of it that most interest you and that entertain you. And whether that's um, developing the characters and who they are writing some dialogue Um, you want to read read as much as you can um, on genres that are similar so that you get a sense of um, stylistically what what direction you want to go in. Be prepared to write things that never see the light of day, um, but just get comfortable in, in a writing mode. You want to develop um, a routine. Routine is like the one thing that, that, that is teaching you subconsciously that you are able to to commit to a practice and committing to the practice is what develops the discipline. And um, I, I, like I said, I, I enjoy drafting freehand first, writing a pen paper, the tactile experience of that is, um, makes it a little bit easier for me to get into a, a flow state of mind rather than having a, a blinking cursor just ticking away um, and find support. I mean, a writing group, like I said, is is a great, great way to get um, the motivation and to have that um, pressure, you know, in a way to produce something because you know that, that other people are going to, are, are looking to, to read it as well. Well, thank you for putting the effort into producing this because you have a very powerful voice, a very powerful message to share with the world. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Lindsay. Thank you, Bruce. It's been a pleasure. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks again for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. And as I mentioned halfway through, I talked about... I talked about anxiety and stress and discouragement. Is this something that you are experiencing? Is this something you're going through? Are you spinning around in circles and struggling a little bit in your life? Well, hypnosis can help. It's helped so many of my past clients and I believe it can help you too. So what I suggest is email me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. In the subject line, put I believe in me and we will jump on a Zoom call. We'll talk about how hypnosis can work for you and we'll go from there. So with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus and happiness. Stay in the mode.